This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Talk Radio We're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. And as we come on the air this Saturday night, welcome in everyone to Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. Thank you so much uh, for being here on this Saturday. Great show, J-Doc, lined up uh, tonight. Wendell Young will kick off uh, our broadcast tonight, and then a little bit later on in the broadcast, we will meet and talk directly to members of the American Federation of Government Employees. All of that, J-Doc, coming up on a big show here on a Saturday night. Absolutely, Joe. We got a, We have a fantastic, a fantastic show lined up tonight, and, and certainly uh, we uh, we have one of the premier labor leaders, and not only in the city of Philadelphia, but throughout the the state of Pennsylvania, Wendell Young, and we're going to launch the show with him, but also uh, the American Federation of Government Employees uh, Union leaders as well. So we got a great show planned, lots to talk about. Uh, I'd like to bring Wendell Young into the program. Wendell, how are you, sir? Here you tonight. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to have you on. Um, uh, so you were on just a, a, a month ago, uh, and certainly we had a great, great conversation then. Uh, before we start, though, tell our listeners a little bit about who you represent with United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1776. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Jay, Doc. And it, our local represents 35,000 people throughout Pennsylvania, uh, we, we are a very diverse union. We, we do have a, a few units up in the Hudson Valley, New York, and the Ohio Valley, West Virginia and Ohio. Uh, but primarily our members are in Pennsylvania. They work in retail, for example, supermarkets, drug stores, the state wine and spirit stores throughout all Pennsylvania. Uh, they, they work in pharmacies like uh, Rite Aid, uh, Walgreens, CVS. They work in casinos out in the uh, uh, Morgantown area of uh, West Virginia. We have some casinos. We have nursing homes. Uh, we have office clerical employees. We have a lot of people in food processing, and especially in, in uh, meat processing, slaughterhouses, and, and places where they don't necessarily slaughter, but they process the meat that was slaughtered elsewhere. And so most of our members are essential workers under, under uh, all this. Yeah, I was just going to say Go that they're, they're essential workers, and they're on the front lines, and obviously they've been doing a, a phenomenal job, and they're part of uh, you know, those who are the heroes out there you know, making, you know, making society move on during this very difficult time. They, they, they are, and they're the folks that have been there from day one when this first broke, uh, and everyone ran to the supermarket. It was our members there stocking the shelves, ringing up the – the groceries, uh, uh, replenishing those uh, shelves overnight. Uh, it's our members taking care of your loved ones in nursing homes uh, around Pennsylvania. Uh, and and you know, so we, we've had to deal with all the same things everyone else has, but we also worked throughout this whole thing. Some of our members were laid off, but an overwhelming majority of them, about 90% of them, continued to work because they were uh, 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 considered, uh, identified as essential workers. Got to produce the food, got to get it on the shelves, got to take care of people in nursing homes. These are all things, uh, got to man the pharmacies. You know, people, people need that, whether, whether uh, you know, good times and bad. So 
Um, it, it's presented unique challenges for our members, but they've done, our members have done an outstanding job at protecting themselves, their coworkers, and their communities. You know, uh, from early on, wearing masks, wearing shields, uh, sanitation uh, enhancement, uh, hygiene issues, you know, in terms of hand washing and, and sanitizing, distancing. And the employers, most of the employers we deal with uh, did the right thing early on, still are. We had a few um, knuckleheads we had to, uh, we had to bring around, uh, but, but, but at this point we got everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, but there is an exception here, uh, the federal government. To this day, almost six months in, we're almost six months into this. Sure. Five million people have been sick, over 100,000 dead, and, and we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. And to this day, our president has not signed one directive that helps even one worker in this country related to COVID-19. Nothing. He's done nothing. Everything you see out of the CDC, uh, he has meddled with. And there are voluntary guidance. They're not required. Same with OSHA. Um, he has left it to a patchwork of states. Thank God we have a good governor here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf, who, who acted decisively early on with, uh, with his Secretary of Health, Dr. Levine. They've done excellent work at, at, at putting in the right uh, directives, mandatory directives for employers to follow, for people, uh, workers to follow, for, for the public at large to follow when they're in public places. That's really helpful. We have nothing from the government. And what we desperately need, you know, to keep, because we're, we're heading into the fall, winter. Um, so far, doctors and science have been right about what to expect. Uh, and, and they're saying it's going to be worse this, uh, this winter. So for all our sakes, what we really need is uh, testing and tracing, contact tracing. We don't have it right now. It goes on a little bit in some places. But doctors' offices don't have the funding or the resources and the people, uh, neither do the hospitals, neither do the employers. And, and even where our employers are doing contract, contact tracing, when, when we find somebody within one of our workplaces that, that is uh, sick and test positive, uh, because of a poor testing program, you know, we're finding out 10 days, two weeks, three weeks after they likely got infected. Um, and, and then the employer can do contact tracing, but it's largely related to people's time at work. People have a whole lot of time in the rest of their life when they're not at work, and that's not the employer's obligation to figure all that out. They try, but, but, they're not, but, but you, you can't do it. Our government needs to do what those countries who have had great success compared to us uh, have done, and that's a, a serious strategic testing and tracing program because that's how we identify where it is in the moment. That's how we fight it where it is. That's how we contain it. And that's how we get past this. And the other thing we need is, is, is mandatory uh, mask wearing and, and other protocols nationwide. We don't have it. I know you guys uh, purchased 25,000 face shields. And I oh, think more 50, than that. It was 40,000. 40, oh, right. Uh, and because and, 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 and we've added to it, we've bought more over time. Uh, shields, masks, um, uh, sanitizer. Uh, we've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in this in this stuff, and and as a labor union, we we really shouldn't have to do that. We did it because our members needed it, and we were able to get our hands on it. Um, now supply chains have caught up, employers have caught up. They've gotten what they need, um, but we still provide to our members who who need or want it um, uh, the additional equipment and, and that they need. 
Um, but but we shouldn't have to do this in this country. You know, this, well, you, it, this is a responsibility of our government and, and then the employers. And and it's interesting because you mentioned the employers. Um, and yeah, there there are some there are some uh, you know some of those that have not done the right thing. But uh, for the large part, a lot of our employers who were all caught off guard have done the best that they can. A lot of those employers were not even given guidelines, government guidelines. Oh, well, in, our, in, in, our, you know, our our president had an opportunity uh, last year when his um, uh, people briefed him. And he ignored it. Uh, you know, we now know as early as last August and November, again in November, uh, people in his administration were trying to get his attention on this. You know, unlike uh, SARS and Ebola and H1N1 over, over the past uh, recent years where previous administrations did the right thing, uh, uh, informed and provided information and education to employers, unions, public at large, none of that happened here. None of that happened here because we, we have... A, to- a, a president with the mentality of a toddler who has the, the attention span of a toddler who can't handle more than, than a handful of words in a briefing. So he doesn't get it. Uh, we have to get rid of this guy. Well, speaking of that, we have a, 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 obviously an election coming up, and a lot of things are going on right now. And I know you're in the thick of that, and uh, you're incredibly politically active and, and, and supporting those who support working people. Um, what's... Uh, you know, we 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 got a we got a heavy lift, but we got to keep things going. What's what's on your upcoming agenda uh, in the near future and along and and in the long haul? Well, I think this is uh, one of the most uh, interesting different elections ever. First of all, it's occurring during a pandemic. It's occurring at a time where many states, even before we knew of a pandemic, uh, started to adopt uh, mail ballot provisions, like Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, you know, we do, our our state, our governor uh, signed this into law last year didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. So there's a lot of new things going on here. But here's here's what I I firmly believe. Um, There are way more people that want to get rid of Donald Trump and and replace him uh, than than the the others. Uh, And it it only matters if they show up and vote. You know, the uh, polls don't vote. People do. So whether you get a mail ballot, whether you show up at the polls, old school, um, uh, it's important people vote and not f- feel complacent that the polls show he's losing and just assume other people are going to show up and do the voting for them. Um, uh, everyone has to do their part. And if we do, it's not just a matter of beating him. It's, it's, it's sending such a decisive message that this country never elects um, such an abomination ever again. And, and, and having said that, what is the um, the message in in regards to getting getting out on the street and getting active to union members who last time uh, many many crossed the the, the, the party lines and, and actually uh, helped put him in the office? What do we what what what, what are for, we saying for, to them now? For 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 most of my adult life, I've you know of those people who resisted voting or registering to vote or or were were. Um, you know, uh, just uh, kind of sour on politics, period. Uh, they didn't think it made a difference. People seem to think it didn't make a difference who you vote for. And in fact, voting trends show that, not just amongst union members, but people in general. Uh, I think this president has woken up America to the fact that it makes a difference who you vote, that it makes a difference to our economy. Look at the mess our economy's in now because of how mishandled coronavirus has been. Look at the, the challenges that workers now have, everyone has. Uh, whether you're a union member or not, um, we, we, we have to 
restore the dig- not only the dignity of the office, um, but but get get people into elected office at all levels who are really going to make uh, take care of of working people. You take care of working people, and everything else will fall into place. Wonder too Young, long they've been taking care of only certain people. And 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 I think a lot of you know, and and we're going to get into this next week. I, I know you know we have we have about the twenty seconds uh, till the break, but I do want to say um, you know. You are going to be on one of the things. You know, we have an hour show next week with Wendell Young, where we're going to cover the election, where we're going to cover all the uh, all the situations going on with COVID and a ton of different uh, uh, topics that are going to be on the table for the for the full hour. So, uh, Wendell Young, uh, President UFCW Local seventeen seventy six, uh, obviously want to thank you for all the time uh, for what you do for uh, our union members and your un- and your workers uh, throughout the state of Pennsylvania, and we can't wait to have you back on next week for the full hour show thanks so much sir look forward to it uh, jdoc see you next week you got it uh people uh we will have more from saturday night live with philly labor after the break portions of tonight's edition of the labor show are sponsored by plumbers local 690 sheet metal workers local 19 iron workers local 401 and seiu local 32 bj district 1201 This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll veto it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And special thanks to Wendell Young for joining us here in the opening segment as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We roll along now here uh, on a Saturday night, only weeks away, Jay doc from our expansion from one hour to two hours every Saturday night on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Jay doc all yours, sir. Thank you, Krause, and absolutely. We're excited about the expansion to to, to two hours with the show after Labor Day. Really going to be, we're going to kick it off with some awesome shows. Uh, I want to first thank um, uh, Wendell Young for being our guest in the first set. we got a big show with him planned. And I want to thank Rick, Rich Gennetti uh, of AFG, he's an AFG National Re- Representative, District 3, and Phil Glover, National Vice President, District uh, 3. Uh, with AFG for making the, the next three segments possible. We've, we have fantastic leadership with AFG, uh, American Federation of Government Employees, and we have three of them coming up, one in each segment, and I'm, I'm happy to bring on to the program uh, Jeff Sievert, President, AFG Local 2058. He's also the Executive Vice President of Council 270, uh, representing the National Park uh, site, uh, Philadelphia National Historical Park and Independence Hall. Uh, Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Lots going on. Uh, certainly um, with 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 uh, AFGE and and uh, and and your uh, and your employees, if you would, and your members, if you would, uh, let, let 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 the listeners know who your who your members are. All right. So AFGE Local 2058 represents employees uh, mostly at Independence National Historical Park here in Philadelphia, uh, but we also uh, represent the employees at the regional office here in Philadelphia for the National Park Service. And we actually have members all the way up uh, in northern Pennsylvania and uh, southern New York uh, with the uh, upper Delaware uh, Scenic River area. Um, So um, in the National Park Service, we have a variety of uh, types of employees. We have people like myself who uh, am an interpretive park ranger. So I'm the one who's out there giving tours of historic sites um, uh, where we have also skilled tradespeople. We have plumbers, 
carpenters, painters. Um, we have administrative staff. We have emergency dispatchers. So our employees run the gamut um, uh, throughout the National Park Service. And so having said that, let's talk about some of the issues that we're, that we're here to talk about. Um, uh, contracting out uh, the custodial jobs. We're going to talk about uh, the masks and uh, a number of other uh, situations where employees got furloughed. Uh, but let's talk about the, the, the contracting uh, out of the coast custodial jobs. Uh, elaborate there, if you would. Yeah. So this is not the first time that uh, Independence National Historical Park has uh, tried to contract out this work. Um, back in uh, 2013, uh, the park did sort of contract out custodial work, um, and it was it was a failure. They didn't follow the correct process. The union fought it. We went through um, an arbitrator, uh, and the park had to stop. The uh, the work wasn't done as the same quality. When the uh, contract employees didn't do a good enough job or didn't show up, our uh, members had to go out and cover their job. Um, in fact, it was more expensive. The uh, cost of contracting out was three times more than it would cost uh, uh, actually hire federal employees to do it. And Which is, by the way, the- hold on for a second, uh, absolutely ridiculous. In other words... Uh, you know, normally what ends up happening is, you know, somebody will, uh, uh, you know, hire unskilled non-union labor, uh, particularly specifically because they're, um, you know, because of their, their lower wages. And you're telling me in this situation they actually cost more? Well, it costs more. It doesn't mean that the individual custodial employee makes that money. Okay. The, the government gives out a contract, and so it's more expensive, but the people who – uh, benefit from it are not the people doing the work. It is it. the companies, whoever gets the contract from the government. Um, and so they had to stop. And for several years, um, they hadn't tried it again, but they hadn't hired any more employees. We are down to three permanent custodial uh, staff at the park to cover over 20 buildings. Um, they claim, you know, that it's, uh, oh, we have trouble hiring people. Well, they only want to try to hire people seasonally that work at most six months. They haven't tried in years to hire permanent uh, employees to do the, uh, this important work of keeping these historic buildings uh, and buildings that uh, visitors come from all over the country and all over the world uh, to see. Um, so it's a shame that they're at this once again. Um, and really what they want to do is they want to be able to fire employees e- easier. Uh, it's not want, about saving they don't want money. representation. They, no. they don't right they don't want representation got it yep so this all came about actually um, in early March they informed the union uh, that they were intent on contracting uh, custodial services out um, so they still seem to be in the process they haven't as far as I know of uh, hired a contractor but uh, what we would argue is we have plenty of uh, qualified people throughout the Philadelphia area Hahnemann Hospital was closed uh, I'm sure there are a great number of uh, individuals that worked in the custodial staff there that were more than qualified uh, that could work uh, at the National Park and have a decent job with decent pay um, and help protect uh, our nation's you know, historic uh, sites. So it's, it's a shame that the park has uh, gone down this road. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we have, uh, you know, the training for our union workers um, is second to none. Uh, and, and obviously, um, one of the issues people don't understand and see is sometimes when a, a non-union contractor comes in, they'll underbid. The, you know, the people will sit there and go, "Well, the union workers make so much money." That, what happens is, 
you know, the, the non-union uh, contractor will underbid the union contractor, okay, not buy a lot, and pay their employees, in some cases, you know, ridiculously low wages, and, they're not, you know, they're, and, and they'll keep the difference. So, in other words, you know, it, it often it's, a, it's a, a greedy situation, but people just look at it from, from face value and think, okay, well, you know, they're union guys and they make a lot more. It's a, it's a simple equation. It's not always in any situation, um, you know, you know that cut and dry. Um, talk about the mask issues in the NPS. Yeah. So what has happened is the National Park Service is being hamstrung actually by the Secretary for the Department of the Interior. Uh, so the National Park Service is under uh, the Department of the Interior, and the Secretary uh, for the Department of the Interior came out and made a policy and said, "Listen, you cannot require." visitors and or employees to wear masks well that's a major problem um you know for us and the fact that you know this virus is spread um you know sort of partially through the air and so the close contact um and so it is actually hamstrung individual parks because it's a national policy um which is ironic given you know the totality of the federal government's response um to leave it up to state, um, this is a very much different where uh, this was a blanket policy. No, you can't require people to do this. So um, fortunately, many of uh, my uh, members who are like me, um, we have not actually been required to come back to work yet. Our buildings are not open to the public yet. It's not safe to do so. Um, but when we do go back, um, we are concerned that not being able to enforce uh, this policy, uh, it is putting the lives of ourselves, our families, and visitors uh, all at jeopardy um, for something that just seems, you know, so logical. Um, all the recommendations I, that have come out, and it's it's ridiculous, really, and, and it puts a lot of people in danger. Uh, we got about a a, a minute left, uh, real quick. Talk about the uh, if you can the furloughing of the custom customs and immigration employees. Yes, yeah, so. Um, our fellow uh, employees who are uh, work for Customs and Immigration, uh, due to uh, revenue shortfalls because, you know, we've closed a lot of the borders, people haven't been traveling, uh, their agency says, well, we don't have the money, we want to furlough 13,000 federal employees. Well, these employees, it's not their fault. They're not the, they're not the ones withdrawing the workers saying, oh, we're not going to work. So Congress really needs to step up and make sure uh, that they provide funding uh, to Homeland Security to make sure that these employees are paid. Why should they and their families uh, be uh, harmed uh, through no actions of their own? They want to work. There's the work to do there. Um, but it's, you know, it's a simple it's a simple fix. Um, Congress has the ability uh, to allocate money uh, to make sure that those employees uh, keep uh, keep working. Jeff, real quick, uh, recourse. Um from the public, what what can people do um, to help uh, to help uh, you know resolve these issues? So, for the contracting out, you can always reach out to Independence National Historical Park and uh, talk to the superintendent, or leave a message for her, uh, uh, Cindy McLeod, um, and tell her that you know you don't want to see uh, the custodial work contracted out; that you want to see permanent. Uh, federal employees doing this job, earning good wages, um, and doing a good job protecting these national assets. 
As for the mask issue, reach out to your members of Congress, your senators, urge them to um, write to the Secretary of the Interior to make this change. Um, We already had 10 uh, members of Congress and one senator sign a letter to Secretary of the Interior telling them to make this change, to make this policy where people would be required to wear a mask. If you go, uh, if you're on Facebook, go to AFG 2058 uh, page, uh, and there's a link on there to an action alert. Um, if you want to send a letter to your member of Congress, it's a quick uh, click on there, uh, and that will send it out. And we would appreciate any support uh, that we could get uh, in trying to make ourselves, our families, uh, and the American public safer by uh, requiring uh, people to wear masks. All right, Jeff Siebert. President AFGE Local uh, 2058, Executive Vice President of Council Set 270. I uh, want to thank you so much for being our guest and, and for the great job you're doing in representation of your members. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, we'll have more from Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor after the break. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Iron Workers Local 405, and Steam Fitters Local 420. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. Halfway through Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor, all presented by our good friend Jim Stevenson of Chapman Ford on the Boulevard. J-Doc, you've heard me say this so many times. The only man in the Delaware Valley who has unconditionally supported the union community for 35-plus years. Go see Jim Stevenson at Chapman Ford on the Boulevard. All right, Krause, Jim Stevenson, get to know him. He's our great friend. We're going to continue our discussion with the American Federation of Government Employees, Labor Leaders. Uh, we certainly uh, want to thank Rich Gennetti uh, for, 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 for putting this together and Phil Glover, um, the great friends of, of, of the show and great labor leaders. I want to bring into the program uh, Robert North, Executive Vice President of AFGE Local 2006 uh, at the Social Security Administration Building here in Philadelphia on Spring Garden Street. Robert, how are you, sir? I'm good, sir. How are you this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Lots going on. Great to have all you guys on. Um, AFG's, uh, you know, doing a fantastic job on behalf of the, your members and certainly just have a lot going on. Uh, and thank God we have great le- labor leadership there. Uh, what I'd like to do is talk about um, some of the anti-union policies that you're going through uh, and particularly driven uh, by some of the recent presidential executive orders. Um, talk about uh, the, the loss of union office space first. Well, yes, under the executive orders that were issued, we lost our union space. We had to vacate it, which meant that we lost our ability to have some place where we could sit down with our union members and listen to the story that they were bringing to us for representation, any problems they were having with with the employer or manager in particular. We also also lost our um, official time. So our official time was was decimated. So um, what that meant was we went, I myself went from 50% down to 25%. The union president went from 100% down to 25%. And that in itself had a terrible effect because the members couldn't get to, to us. And when they did, 
you know, we were scheduling, we were scheduling sometimes so far out that we would we would be just under the wire to meet a deadline. So it's had it that part of it has has you know had a very negative effect. That's it, and and so to translate that, what what you're saying is is that the you know the the loss of union office space. Um, I guess on premises, uh, and uh, the loss of official time for union officials to actually engage in representation and other labor relations matters makes it almost impossible uh, for your union members to actually meet with labor leadership to discuss issues. How can how can um, you know how can the administration actually mandate that? And I, and I say that because. The purpose of a union is to be able to represent your members, and yet, you know, the administration is dictating when and where you can and cannot meet with your members. How does that happen? Well, they came at it around the fringes, looking for ways to to go in, and then once they found a couple of of ways, they they wrote the executive orders. We took them to court. We one of the things that was a core argument of ours was the fact that you're trying to set aside a collective bargaining agreement, which means that, you know, you have no respect for a contract. So not only are you trying to say that the the union and the agency no longer have a contract, you can come in and break it at any time. But in theory, if, if I sold you my car, you know, the third party could come in and say, I don't like that. So um, we started, we won at first, and then we lost on an appeal. And, you know, so then what we did was we just, we just countered ourselves and we said that if that's going to be it, then that's going to be it. We will come up with some other ways to uh, meet, meet our obligations. The, um, you know, it wasn't just the space and the time. We also lost, you know, equipment. We lost the ability to use the agency email. Um, so we've had to overcome a good bit. And we've done it. We've done it. It's not a long-term solution, but for right now, um, it is what it is until the executive orders um, are reversed. Eventually, though, they will be reversed. Well, having said that, you know, it, it always amazes me when, uh, you know, individuals, whether it's the government or really anybody who they underestimate uh, the tenacity of union members and union leadership, thinking that just, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you can have a union but you can't have anywhere to meet and you can't have the time to actually uh, do your job. And, and, and by the way, you can't have the equipment either. I get a kick out of it sometimes because they just think we're going to pack up and go home. Like, okay, we're sorry. We, you know, and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting here talking about working conditions uh, and, and, and issues on the job. The great thing about having unions is uh, there's so many, but, you know, people have representation to make sure that uh, equality is there, that sexual harassment issues are not uh, prevalent, uh, that anybody with an issue, um, you know, has some, a labor leader they can go to. A lot of people don't understand, particularly in the state of Pennsylvania, it's an at-will state. You can be fired for almost anything. When you have a collective bargaining agreement, and by the way, we profess union workers work harder and longer and, 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 and care they're they're better trained. There's a better safety, and all those and all those situations. So we work hard for our money, okay. Yes. And I think you know, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but 
um, you know, I think they underestimate us and, and, and the leadership that you guys provide to your members. Um, why are they doing this? What is their point? Do they think we're just going to go away? I think that's exactly it. They, they realize that we're not going to go away. So what they're trying to do is undercut us. They're trying to say you do not have a, a right to exist. We don't want it. And, you know, we're going to keep at it until we can find some legal way to do it. And to be honest, it, they only trip themselves up. They say, you know, they've come up with a, a clever um, branding of a slogan of a right to work. And the right to work yeah. just means that, just that. I've got right to work and work. And well, work. Well, 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 Robert, and, and I just want to let everybody know we're talking to Robert North, Executive Vice President of AFG Local 2006 down at the Social Security Administration in Philly. Right to work is the right to work for less. It, it, you know, it, it, it's a deceptive term if there ever was one. Who would, you know, the, the normal lay person would say to themselves, uh, Oh, I'm for the right to work. You don't know the, the right to work in many cases means that you can you you know you can take it, the advantages of the union but not pay union dues so that eventually uh you know you, 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 the union leaders you know you can't afford to have union leaders and at the same time uh union workers uh you, you don't have to be a union worker to, to to be an employee so you eventually have less union members there and there's no more collective bargaining it's the race to the bottom it's a deceptive yes. term and it's it uh, i'm glad you mentioned that it's a, it's 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 something that people have to know let's let's uh, segue a little bit into uh the the, the telework policy tell us a little bit about that the telework policy was something that the union took um, to the agency and said that we now have with the technology and our budget, we have the ability to have these in some in the, um, some employees perform their functions at home for a certain number of days per week. It's great for the environment. It's great for the agency. It's great for the employee. And we had a telework policy in place during the last contract. During this contract, the agency came to us and said, we don't see a benefit, and we're going to end the program. Well, what do you think happened next? COVID-19. The pandemic. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. And the next thing you knew, everything was sitting there. Everything was ready to go. And eventually, the agency said, um, we're going to put not just those who were volunteered. I never volunteered. I, I, I never volunteered for it. But they said, not only are we going to put everybody who was on it, but everybody is going to go on it. And we have not missed a beat. The well, SSA employees have worked. We've served the, we've served the public. We have served the agency. We are, we are, we are working at, at more than 100% because, um, you know, we have the time to it. We understand what our job is. We're dedicated to it. And, you know, what, what, was, what was something that, you know, was on its way out, is now back, and it's been a huge, a huge success. And, 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 and I'll tell uh, you, the, the technology, having that technology there, um, coincidentally, right before they, you know, took it from you, um, and it gives everybody the opportunity to be able to work safely and productively. Uh, let me ask you a question about that. Do you think, uh, because it's worked so well, that, um, you know, it's here to stay in some areas? We believe so, because we have the numerics. We have the numerics now to go back and to show it. The public has has realized that we're still open and um, they're able to get everything done. There hasn't been a blimp 
in our services whatsoever. So, yes, I think that that um, if the agency themselves uh, do not say, you know what, this was a huge success for everyone, the agency, the management, the employees, uh, everyone, then we'll be right there to, to show them, to show them that it was and to, and to say, now, let's make this permanent. So having said that, before we go, and that's awesome, that's fantastic, uh, what, what can the, the, the listeners do about the uh, issues with the loss of unions, office space, loss of uh, time? What can we do to get the word that, that, that that's just not fair and that, and that, that trying to uh, you know, remove resources and, and, and uh, opportunities um, is not going to fly with people? Uh, to, and, and, and that's the way they're going to destroy the union? I don't think so. What can we do to help that? The first thing I would tell everyone to do is to reach out. Reach out to your elected officials. Uh, the Social Security Administration is funded by Congress. Congress is very aware of what's going on. Tell Congress that this has been a success. And, you know, we pick up the phone plenty of times when there's a problem. Let's pick up the phone now to turn around and say, you know what? I haven't seen any, any blip in my benefit in, in things that I'm entitled to and that I work for you know, thank you. And, you know, I understand that this was telework. So, you know, let's let's keep that going. And at the same time, let them know that, you know, organized labor has a positive benefit across the board. We're a conduit between management and the employee, and we can smooth the waters when there's when there's a problem and we're we're another voice to turn around and, and to, to be a sounding board with. So um no, those go ahead. Those those are positive things, and you know, um, it'd be no problem not only for our members but for the public to reach out to um, their elected officials and 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 tell them that you know they appreciate they appreciate the efforts of the um, organized labor movement. All right, Robert North, uh, Executive Vice President of AFG Local 2006. I want to thank you so much for joining the broadcast, my friend. Well, thank you. I much enjoyed it. You enjoy your evening. Thank you. And you as well, my friend. Uh, we'll have more from Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor after the break. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by IATSE Local 8, District 1199C, and News Guild 10. Good stuff and a great job tonight, Jay Doc, on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. We roll into our final segment. Again, reminder to the listening audience, three weeks away from beginning our two hours every Saturday night, the week following Labor Day, we'll begin broadcasting Saturday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Jay Doc, all yours. Thank you, Joe. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion with, with, with AFGE leadership, and I'm happy to bring on the broadcast Karen Ford Steyer, president of AFGE Local 1793 at the Corporal Michael Crescens Veterans Administration Medical Center. Uh, Karen, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Well, it's great to ha- oh no, it's it's great to have you, and 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 certainly we're going to get right to it because we got about eight minutes, um, and we saved the best for last here. So um, no, here's what thank you. <laughs> it's my, uh, my pleasure. Having said that, um, let's talk about uh, some of the issues that that, that you're having at the at, at the VA. Um, one of those is is chronic understaffing. Um, let's start there. Well, uh, so over the months, years, we've always had the staffing issue, 49,000 
uh, staff down for VA across the country. But locally, we're always at a shortage. EMS nursing seems to be able to hire uh, at a good rate. They are usually the ones that are that they prefer to hire uh, first. The direct patient care, and we know why, but. We can't do our jobs if we don't have the correct amount of staffing. Staffing, if we don't have, we're not going to be successful. And so, and, and as a result of that, you, you know, the, 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 the work schedules, because you're chronically under understaffed, uh, are, are exhaustive. Um, and obviously, you know, some of the em- employees are performing irregular duties out of their normal expertise. Elaborate, please. Well, that. They're trying to detail the staff where they feel that they need the staff. But in order for you to be detailed to certain positions, you need to know the job. I mean, you need more than just the body. You need an experienced body. So they want to move staff members into places where they're not quite comfortable with, for example, administrative staff at one point. They were asking them to be screeners at the front uh, door. That's not what administrative staff feel comfortable doing. That's clinical, you know. So we had those issues early on. But moving forward, they have uh, used more of the clinical staff to do the screening. And talking about hiring screeners. So I want to see how well that goes. Uh, Because we do need people to do the screening so the people who you're detailing to screen can go back to their original job and how, how about how, how about medical personnel in other words we've heard i've heard stories not you know not necessarily at the va but in in other understaffing situations at, at, at medical facilities where the where the nurses um were drastically understaffed and, and therefore trying to work on, you know, uh, pieces of equipment that were treating people, um, you know, w- that were out of their uh, expertise. Are we having any situations like that? I don't hear that much that uh, people are being asked to uh, handle equipment that they aren't comfortable with. It's That's more the overall seat watching over you're taking your critical care staff and utilizing them on the med surge floors they 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 don't work on med surge floors so they don't know the daily operation of them they're critical medical sick you they are your critical staff even at one point moving nurse anesthetists trying to move them to the MICU and SICU. But no one has actually complained about having to work machinery or anything that, you know, that they're not comfortable with. But our other issue, which is very big, is how they're responding to the workers' comp yeah, I, I was just going to ask you about that. Uh, you know, the, the workers' comp situation, Dana, how long it takes to get the work comp ca- claims approved and the fact that the management's uh, resistance to approving uh, real work comp, comp claims. Tell me about that. Well, you have two departments. You have the Department of Labor and you have the Department of Veterans Affairs. You file a workers' comp claim, better known as OWCP, you go and it's handled by the Department 
of labor, but the processing of the paperwork appears to be a major problem. Even the fact of which form to fill out. Uh, management is given directions to fill out a CA-2. The union says to fill out a CA-1. But regardless, the process is slow, and we're finding that people aren't getting paid. Their uh, claims are not being adjudicated. So they're aren't they aren't being able to pay their bills. They're out for a month with no pay. So and, and that that's a, that's absolutely outrageous. Having said that, um, Karen, we got about uh, thirty five seconds left. Um, you you would mention uh, you know earlier the tele the, the, the telework is working uh, you know on an expanded basis during COVID nineteen. What I'd like to do is have you back on a on a future show. Uh, because I know that's working well for you, and and thank you for everything you're doing for for your workers. I want to thank Karen Ford Steyer, President of AFG thank Local you. 1793, and all of our guests for doing a great job for our labor community. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. On behalf of Joe Kraus, I'm Jay Doc. Thanks for listening. edition of the labor show have been sponsored by sheet metal workers local 19 cwa communication workers of america and AFSME local 1739 dc 47 this program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of wpht or its management